0: Good morning, Uh, once again, church family. It's good to uh, be here with you guys. Uh, I wanna invite you to turn with me in your Bibles um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Today, uh, we have made it to the love chapter uh, in the book of Corinthians. Uh, A couple facts about this chapter as you're turning there. One, it's the shortest uh, chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians, there's only 13 verses. Um also, it is the, statistically, it is the most referenced passage at weddings uh, in the Bible. Um, and we'll, you'll probably see why if you don't already know why. But I want to, as I said, invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the seat back pew in front of you. Um, and if there's not one there, you can also follow along on the screen behind me. But we're going to read the entirety of the passage Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll pray, and then we'll dig in, and we'll talk about love together. It says this, If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Let's pray over the preaching and teaching of God's word. Lord, we love you so much. And God, we just again thank you for the opportunity that we can come freely to your word, which is your very presence, and I pray, God, that as you breathe it over us uh, this morning, that you would help us to breathe it in, that we would know you more deeply, uh, be equipped to make you known more effectively, and these words would come to life. Teach us what love is, Lord, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We give you this time, God, as it's already yours, and just ask that you do it through what you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, this is an important chapter uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, Maybe the most notable is that uh, love is maybe the least, or maybe it's the most relatable word to non-Christians. It's not a very Christianese word, right? It has very deep Christian implications, but a non-Christian has ideas of what love is, just as a Christian has ideas as to what love is. And chances are, if you're in here this morning, you've had some experiences with this word as i say the word love i imagine there's certain feelings and emotions that maybe start flooding through uh, your mind or your memory maybe it's you know the first time you told somebody that you loved them Uh, maybe it's uh, you know a a broken heart when someone told you they didn't love you back Uh, maybe it's the losing of a loved one that comes to your mind we all have different um, different experiences and had different interactions with love and so it's important that we define it according to scripture that it's not based solely on our experiences um, but rather based on what God's word says and so that's what we're going to do this morning is we're going to define love Um, but we're not just going to define it that's the first question we're going to ask is what is love Um, the second question we're going to ask is well where does love come from right it's one thing to know what it is It's another thing to to know where it comes from or where you can get it. Uh, And then thirdly, we're gonna ask, well, what do we do with it once we have it, right? Um, Again, we gotta know what it is. And even once we get it, we've gotta know uh, what we do with it when we have it. And so those are the three questions we're gonna look at today, starting with uh, what is love? And I'm gonna kinda answer it in three parts. First, we're gonna look at the word that Uh, Paul uses as he writes this letter, the Greek word. Uh, Then we're going to look at what he says love is not. Then we're going to look at what he says love is. Um, But starting with the word, this is an important distinction to make here because in English, we really only have one way to say love, right? And so if I were to say, I love uh, tacos, my friends, my spouse, and God, right? Hopefully those all mean different things, right? Right? Um, and hopefully they're in that order in terms of significance as well. Um, but all of those would be true, right? Like, it wouldn't be wrong for me to say I love tacos, right? It wouldn't be long, wrong for me to say I love God, but there's a deep difference, or hopefully, in what we mean by that, right? And so that's kind of the, the problem that the English language has. Uh, in Greek, however, they have as many as, some scholars say as many as eight different words to define love, uh, but four kind of primary ways of saying it. The first word they have is, I'm not even going to bother pronouncing the Greek because I don't know how to pronounce them, but the first word they have um, is used to describe a love you would have that's more of a, an affection for, like, an, like, like tacos, right? Like you love tacos or you love basketball. Um, that would be uh, kind of the most basic level of love that the Greek language identifies. They then have another word that it's in reference to friendships, right? You love your friends. Um, And then thirdly, they have a love that you would use for a spouse. It's like a romantic type love. And then the last word they have, which I will use this Greek word, it's called agape. And it's more of a, it's it's really a divine love, a love that supersedes all earthly things. And so clearly we're talking about the divine love, right? Not tacos, not friends, not uh, family, not spouses, but but the divine love. Not divine love, once we understand it for what it is, should bleed into the rest of those things, right? Our love for God can, or, or our love for tacos can draw us to an appreciation and our love for our creator, the one who made them, right? And same goes for the friends and relationships that he gives and our spouse that, that we may love as well. So, so they are all kind of interconnected, but it's got to start with the definition of that Greek word agape, uh, that divine type love. And in this passage, I don't know if you're counting, but there were 13 verses, and the word love was used 10 times, almost one time per every verse. And in every instance, it uses the word agape. So it's referring to a godly love, a divine love. Um, So that's kind of what we see from the word itself, Um, but looking at the first three verses, Paul starts off by uh, giving reference to what love is not, right? So we know it's a divine word, and then he gives description of what it isn't. So I'll read verses one through three again. It says, if I speak... Uh, human or angelic tongues but do not have love I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love I am nothing and if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love I gain nothing And so we see that what love's not, it's not human or angelic tongues, it's not uh, the gift of prophecy or any other gifts for that matter, it's not uh, understanding all mysteries, or it's not understanding all knowledge, it's not faith that can move mountains, it's not the giving away of possessions or the giving away of self, it's none of those things, right? And it's not, again, to say that, that love doesn't have influence in those things, But love itself, this this divine love, this agape, this godly love, is not itself those things. It's an important distinction. The other thing that's interesting about how Paul kind of starts off his definition, one, it's kind of weird to define something by what it isn't first. Um, But also, if you notice, he kind of gives those three verses in three parts, right? He he gives not just what love isn't, but also what lovelessness is leads to meaning if you don't have love the things that that you that will be associated with you for example he starts off in verse one he says uh it's if you don't have love he says you are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal right and and to me that's really just imagery for uh, a, a negative output right meaning that you do bad things right if you don't have love you then do bad things. Lovelessness equals bad things. Or the Christians we call that sin, that which separates you from God. Not just things that are annoying, right? But things that are actually deeply wrong and sinful as a result of lovelessness. He goes on in verse two. He says, if you don't have love, he says that he says that I am nothing. Right? So not just that you do bad things right? But that you yourself are actually bad, that you yourself are actually nothing. So lovelessness leads to bad actions. It also leads to bad self. And then thirdly, at the very end, he says, if, you do not, if I do not have love, I gain nothing, which means you have bad reward or no reward. Right? And for us, we know that that's actually bad consequence, uh, which is eternity apart from God. And so thing that without leads to sin, uh, both in action and in self um, and consequence, which is eternity apart from God. So that's kind of how Paul, again, right out the gate, tells us what it isn't and the consequences of not having it. But he then turns his attention in verses four through, through the first part of verse eight to what love is. He says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And so what are some of the descriptors that Paul uses here for love? Well, patience, kindness. He then uses a few that could have been included in the what loves not, but he says love is without envy, it's without boast, it's without arrogance, without rudeness, without self-seeking, without irritability, without keeping a record of right and wrong. Uh, It's hateful of all unrighteousness, it's rejoiceful of all truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and it is endless. And I wanna be clear as it lists all these descriptors, Um, this is not, there's some things you can define where it's, if it has any one of these things, then it's true. There's other definitions where it's, all of these things have to be true in order for this to be true, right? This is a definition where all of these things must be true in order for it to be love right because some of these maybe you read and you're like well that's not too difficult right like I'm a pretty kind person right but all of these things have to be true in order for it to be love right and if you don't have any one of them then you don't have love which then leads to the consequences of not having love which we just saw which are uh, sinfulness uh, all the way to your core which results in eternity apart from God and so so the the, the the total conclusion of all of these descriptors is important as we define love. And, and let me give you an example of why it's important and how we know that to be true. Paul says that, that it bears all things and believes all things. Right, well, if you just take that at face value, that's a little bit confusing, right? We just love believes everything, right? As we, as Christians, try to love non-Christians, are we supposed to just believe everything they say? Are we supposed to just bear whatever cultural practices they try to throw our way or, or, or push or share in? I right, well, of course not. How do we know that? We know because one of the other descriptors of love um, is that it rejoices in the truth, right? And the truth is found only in this word. And so if they say things that are contrary to this word, we can't rejoice in truth, but also uh, believe non-truth at the same time. It doesn't work, right? And so, so love is is all of these things together and not even just all of these things for like a moment right because I think all of us could say that we've done each one of these at least hopefully you've been kind at least once in your life and hopefully you've been you know selfless at least once or patient at least once well the last descriptor there says love never ends right love is infinite right so it's not just have you done these things right once right but it's to have done these things always and forever. That's how Paul defines love. This is an infinite, again, this isn't just, and again, it's not to say there's not room to, again, have affection for, you know, people or have affection for, you know, sports team or a particular food, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. This is an infinite, holy, endless love that Paul is talking about here. That's how he defines it. And it must include all of these or else it's less than that. It's less than love. Right? And so that's the the best definition uh, that Paul kind of gave based on the the word love, based on what he says love isn't, and based on that comprehensive list of descriptors or, or characteristics of love there's our definition. I'm not going to put it into one word or one main point this morning, but but that's it. That's love, that's the agape love that Paul is referring to, which leads then to an, an important next question. Right? Because if you're like me, you're here thinking, well, how do I get that? Right? Because I'm not any of those things. I, I can't do all those things, or I, at least not endlessly, or or not in full. Right? So how do I get that? Uh, which is the second question we're gonna ask, where does love come from? And like Paul, we're gonna start off by looking at uh, where love doesn't come from before we get to where love does come from. And I wanna start with just the obvious. Uh, it, It doesn't come from you, and it doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from people, right? This kind of agape, again, infinite, endless, holy, perfect love cannot come from people, people who aren't endless, aren't perfect, aren't holy. We don't have the capacity to love. And if you don't believe me, let's try a little practice for a moment. My youth pastor did this a long time ago. I want you to, in your own Bibles, if you have them in front of you, I want you to, in your head, read through verses four through eight, but in place of the word love, use your name. Does it make sense? Does it carry any weight at all? I'll try, I'll try it for myself. Todd is patient. Todd is kind. Todd is not envy, Todd is not boastful, Todd is not arrogant, not rude, not self-seeking, not irritable. i not gonna lie, I don't even think I can get through the whole thing. It's a lot of lies in one sentence, right? I'm not those things. I can't be on, on my own accord. I can't be those things, nor can any person. And so it's not a matter of shame to say you're not love. It's that none of us are this love, right? Again, there's a version of love that our world recognizes, understands, and I believe we all have experienced, we've all loved people that way, we've all loved things that way, but this is different. This is different. We don't have a capacity for this on our own. Here's what Scripture says. If that's not enough to believe that that we aren't the source of this kind of love, let's look at what Scripture says. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, it says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. I don't know that it could be said any more clearly than that. And again, if we believe that love is rejoicing in truth, and this is from God's word, which we believe is truth, then we have to acknowledge that what God is telling us is that we don't have the capacity to love that way. It goes on and. Romans three, later in that same chapter, verse 23 says, "'All have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God.'" Right, and James 2.10 tells us that all who have fallen short are guilty of breaking not just the area that they've fallen short of, but the whole law. Right, and the consequence of breaking the whole law, we know according to Romans chapter six, verse 23, is that we deserve then death, that's the consequence. And so we are actually the opposite of love if we really want to get down to. We're opposite of this biblical love. And so if it doesn't come from us, then what does it come from? Simply put, church answer, God. This love comes from God, evidenced perfectly in the person of Jesus. If you use the same practice we just used, but put Jesus in the place of the word love, it fits. And he's the only thing you can put there that does fit. And not just for his own sake, right? But then he, he he is so much so that he allows us to then experience it as well. Look at, again, not just my word for it or just doing the, replace the word love test. Look at what God's word says. 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 through 10 says it perfectly. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The love who or the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now there's a couple big theological truths there. Um, But two, just to point out, is one, it says that love is from God, right? God is the very source of love and from nowhere else can you find it, right? And the way we find it is by knowing God. And by knowing God, what that means is knowing what God did for us, which is sending his one and only son to take the place for us as an ultimate, a sufficient sacrifice for our lovelessness that warrants us eternally apart from Him. But that's just the first truth. Not only is God the source of from which love comes, but God is also love itself. He's not just the source of love, but He is love. Right, it says in verse 8, the one who does not love God does not know God because God is love. And in verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. Right? He is the source because he is love. He is agape. But agape might as well be the same word we use for God. Because it is him. And it, so it can only come from him because it is him. which is the very gospel. Right, that God who is love would share the very thing that only he is with people who not only don't have it and aren't it, but couldn't possibly get it outside of him. And not just gives us his love, right, but removes the consequence of our lovelessness we're operating in a deficit, right? It's not just that we can just, oh, thanks God for the love. Right? He's gotta first pay the penalty, even get us on even ground, right? Paying the, the, debt, that we des- the, the, the debt that we owe, the punishment that we deserve. He, he loves us so much that he takes it away, right? So that we no longer bear the consequence of our lovelessness or our lack of ability to love, right? And then as if that's not enough, He then gives us his righteousness or his reward for being love himself that's the gospel church that's a love that we could never know outside of Jesus it doesn't exist outside of of God at all so prior to knowing Jesus we might have loved romantically we might have loved in a friendship way we might have loved, you know, just things or had passions in this world, but, but this love only exists through and in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're here, because here, here's again why this is it so important. Love is the thing that all people pursue, right? Whether it's in pursuing love in relationships Or whether it's pursuing love in in a job, or pursuing love in uh, just interests and and hobbies, right? All people, statistically, all people are search. That's what it boils. That's what they're searching for, right? And again, they might find it in part. Right? I'm not saying you can't love sports teams to a degree. I'm not saying that you can't love romantically to a degree, or that you can't have friendships or a job that you love. What I am saying is that our capacity for the greatest love, a, great, a love that far exceeds, infinitely exceeds anything we would ever have known to, to call love, right? the only way we experience that is through Jesus. That's the only way. John 15, 13 says, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. All right, which is what Jesus did for you and I. He laid down his life for us. Now, typically, let me just kind of take a moment to, to dig into to what that the significance of what that really means, because typically, right, because we read that verse, and I'm sure there's some of us in here who think, well, I could do that, right? There's people who have done that, right, who have laid down their life for somebody else, people who have stepped in front of a bullet, people who have uh, served our country and gave their life for it, and I don't want to minimize any of that at all. Right, but, but so typically, right, there's a correlation uh, between how much you care about something or someone, right, and how much you're then willing to sacrifice for that person, right? Like, for example, I got a one-year-old baby girl, right, and I, there's nothing I wouldn't, I love her so much, right, that there's, so I love her so much that there's nothing I wouldn't do for her, nothing I wouldn't lay down for her, Right? Now, if, you know, to use a different example, right, because that's not a big story, right? Like, let let me even make it a little more obvious what I mean. Let's say I'm eating dinner, and I'm eating with my daughter, and she wants one of my french fries. I love my daughter deeply, right? Would I be willing to sacrifice one of my french fries for her? Of course. Right, of course, a minimal sacrifice, deep love, of course I'm gonna do that. right, but what about if the tables are turned? Right, because that wouldn't be a big story. That wouldn't make the front page news, right? Dad dad sacrifices French fry for his one-year-old daughter. Wouldn't be much of a story. right, but what about this? What if I step in front of a bullet for a person who hated me and caused my family harm and caused my, my whole life difficulty, right? would that all of a sudden be a little bit bigger of a story, right? The love's not there, right? But then the sacrifice, so the love's not tremendous, but the sacrifice is tremendous. You see, and that's what makes what Jesus did for us the epitome of, of love, of agape love, right? Because there was no love on our end toward Jesus. Total hate, total separation, total rebellion. And we didn't just need saved from, we just didn't need a french fry, right? We didn't just need saved even in our physical bodies. We needed infinite, eternal saving. So we infinitely and eternally hated God, yet he infinitely and eternally saved us out of his love for us that's the love we're talking about here so can you start to see how we we just don't have the capacity to do that it comes solely from who God is and from him only only Jesus can give love like that only Jesus is love like that all right so we've defined what love is we've now, hopefully seeing the source of where love, where that love comes from and how free it is. It doesn't cost us anything. And so if you're in here and you don't know that kind of love, I just want to use this as an opportunity to tell you that you can, right? Romans ten nine says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave and you will be saved. That's all it takes, church. All it takes is believing that God is who he says he is, and that he did what he said he did, demonstrating this love for you to be received freely. And we're going to have a moment at the end of the service where we invite you to respond to that if that's you. But if that's also you, you don't even have to wait to the end of the service. Uh, Accept it now. Maybe publicly profess it at the end, but don't wait. Accept it now. But that does leave us even still with another question. So say we've received it, right? We've, we know what it is. We've received it now. But then what do we do with it? What do we do with this kind of love? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is actually the last verse leading up to this passage. Um, it says, and he's talking about, you know, giftedness, right? Because they were having a, a, a struggle, the Corinthian church of of uh, kind of selfishly viewing gifts and and, and kind of using it in an arrogant way. Well, I've got this gift and you don't have this gift. And so he closes out the section on giftedness in verse 31. He says, but desire the greater gifts and I will show you an even better way, which is love, but also implies that there are actionable steps associated with this kind of love. It's not just some arbitrary intangible thing that exists in the ether that, that we just kind of like say we have, right? Or exists you know, in our hearts, right? It, it has tangible, actionable steps associated with it as well. Practical application. There's four practical applications that we see in this passage. First, first it's remembering, and this kind of ties into what we just talked about, um, but it's in verses one through three, reminding ourselves that, that this love is attainable right again this isn't just some far off uh out in the ether love that's kind of a fairy tale this is a love that is attainable right knowing he he says but i do not have love he uses that language three different times in the first three verses implying that it is something that you can attain right and if it's something that can be attained our first actionable step is to seek it right? We seek that which is attainable. Um, and that may even feel, maybe feels a little bit impractical, so let me break it down a little bit more practically. Um, there's a famous theologian, uh, Thomas, uh, Thomas Edwards, who, um, who kind of gives a definition in two different ways, right? And again, it's kind of important that we view it in two ways, because if God is love and he's the source of love, then we can have kind of two different approaches to how we practically apply it to our lives. And Thomas Edwards kind of breaks it down into two different words. Uh, The first word is complacency. The second word is benevolence. So a a, a complacent love, which doesn't have the negative connotation that I thought it to mean, but also a benevolent kind of love. And and then here's essentially the difference. You're gonna look at first, what is complacency love? And then what is benevolence love? Complacency love would be, for example, like saying I like pizza or I like tacos, which because really what you're saying when you say that is I find myself pleased by the qualities that the pizza has, right, or that the tacos have. So that you, you love the, the, car- the attributes of that thing and how they make you feel, right? Um, So in that case, it would be taste probably, right? I mean, maybe you like how it looks, I guess, but primarily how it tastes, right? That would be kind of complacency, what he would refer to as complacency, love. And because God is love, right, we should find love in him in the same way. And what I mean by that is the attributes of God, right, lead to a joyfulness in our hearts that are us experiencing agape love in him, meaning as you, right? Because if you, if you, let's say that I have, I demonstrate that kind of love, for example, with my spouse, right, with, with Maddie, right? I'm then going to desire to get to know her more and more, right, because the more I get to know her, the more it pleases me to get to know her, right? And it can sound selfish, but in this case, God wants us to find joy in him. And so we dig into who God is primarily through his word and by living it out in our day-to-day life, and we come to know God more deeply. Right, and so we seek this type of, of, of agape love in God and finding joy in the understanding of who he is, right? which requires knowing him more deeply. Right, that's, the, that's, the, that's what it means, complacency love. But then there's benevolence love which would be, be kind of like goodwill love. It would be the, the, the bringing about of love as opposed to the responding to it, right? Because if you're eating something, you're just responding to that which is already there, right? Or recognizing that which is already there, right? Goodwill would be doing something for somebody with, with no agenda essentially, right? Which again, we really don't have the capacity to do on our own, However, God, as the all-loving God that he is, has chosen to demonstrate this kind of love through you and I, which means that we can love people this way, again, not by our own power, but by God. So he gives us a power and an ability to love other people expecting absolutely nothing in return. We love because God first loved us and we demonstrate this love to others by the power of God who is in us. This this idea of complacency and benevolence can be summed up uh, by Mark chapter 12. That was a confusing explanation. This sums it up perfectly as Jesus responds in giving the greatest two commands. Starting in verse 30, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other command greater than these. So essentially boils down to loving God, loving others. But again, we can't love God in an agape way. Rather, we simply love God by acknowledging his agapeness. We acknowledge that man, God is so gracious. God is so merciful. Right? And, and that giving us joy right, is, is how we love God because we have no capacity to love him on our own. Right? And the way we love other people right, is by selflessly loving them even though they don't deserve it. Because like us, we didn't deserve it when we experienced it as well and we continue to experience it as well. Which leads then to the last of the practical points, which is that we await the fullness of God's love to be revealed. Verses nine through 12 of our text says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part but then I will know fully as I am fully known. You realize God fully knows us and still loves us. It's kind of scary, right? to think that somebody could know the depths of who you are. And for me, knowing the, the deep, sinful inclinations of my heart and, and ways in which I've rebelled against God, to think he would still love me is mind-blowing. All right, and what scripture says here is that that we get to experience this, and in a sense it's full in that it's guaranteed, right? There's an assurance that as you surrender your life to Jesus, that you will get to be with him one day, right? But we have to live that out. And that day has not yet come, right? So we know Jesus love, we, we can understand it, but there will be a day where it won't be clouded by the, the earthly consequences of sin, There will be no more sin there will be no more shame there will be no more guilt there will be none of those things any longer instead we will simply be face to face with the fullness of god the fullness of love forever eternally and so practically speaking we get to look forward to that because it's hard it's difficult our mind even though we can love this, we can get more fascinated by loves that are, are, are not as great, right? And so we keep our mind on the fact that one day we will be face-to-face with all loving God forever. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna close in just a moment, um, and so i want to invite the worship team to come back up, and as they do, I um, just wanna recap. We defined what love is um, using those words that Paul said, it's a divine godly, holy love that we cannot, we can't, we have no capacity for it. It far infinitely supersedes any earthly understanding of love we might have. And we can't produce it, it doesn't come from us, it comes from God and God only because he is love. And so with that, knowing we can attain it, that it's not, again, it's not far off, right? You don't have to, It's not like when you were, you know, dating your spouse and you had to work for it and earn it and, you know, we do none of it. No door opening, you know. We're not paying for the meals, we're freely receiving, freely receiving, totally free. And because of that, we have this desire to get to know the qualities of God more so his grace, his mercy, his peace, his kindness, his patience, his endless, all of it, to, to know the agape-ness of who God is, but also to share that agape, not because we've got the capacity, but God chooses to work through us to make it known to other people, all the while waiting the day where we get to experience it in full. And so if you are sitting here and you've never known that kind of love, I wanna invite you to know it this morning. Um, If you're sitting here and you've, again, you've known the love of other things and you just kind of bounced around from thing to thing, like it lasts a little bit, right? And then all of a sudden it fades and you find something different, whether that's relationships or whether that's hobbies or whether that's a car or possessions, a job where you're just kind of looking for the next thing that, that describes you at all. I just want you to know there is a love that is infinitely greater than that. That's not all there is to this life, there is something that supersedes it all and is found only in the person of Jesus. So that's you. We have a time invitation, we're going to sing in just a moment. I invite you to come forward. Um, and if you're here and you have experienced it, uh, my challenge for us this morning is to don't stop seeking it. Don't stop seeking it. Um, it it's, it's easy to, to think that you, you just accept it and you kind of put it in your back pocket and you keep doing what you're doing. No, it is infinite. And we get to experience it in new ways every single day. And we get to do it alongside fellow brothers and sisters. And we get to share it with people who have never experienced it before. I don't know about you, but as I've gotten older, gift giving has become far more enjoyable than gift receiving, right? When you have something that's so amazing and you just can't wait for somebody to open it, right? And we have the greatest love that exists. What all people innately are searching for, we've got it. That God is allowing us to be vessels to share with them. Doing so while we await for the day where we're with him face to face. So, regardless of where you are in those two different invitations, I just invite you to respond this morning. Let us be a church marked by love, agape love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, and then we'll see.